Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host, and this is episode 108. We appreciate the sponsors that we've had on the show and the support that they've shown us. Uh, one of our uh, sponsors, he's been on the show, he's been sponsoring a, a couple episodes, is Robert Burke with uh, his game Battle for Souls. And I'd like to um, just invite Robert on for a few seconds. Robert, are you there? Hey, Richard. Hey, um, Battle for Souls. You've got a Kickstarter project out there. It's been going on for a while, doing successful. 30 seconds. Tell us what, it, what's, what it's all about. It's doing good. It's about angels and devils, and it's about saving the souls of mankind or dragging them to hell. So go check it out. <laughs> okay. Well, that certainly sounds interesting. And we're talking to Robert Burke, Battle for Souls, the sponsor of this episode. You can find it on Kickstarter. Thanks, Robert. Take care. Bye-bye. When I have a great guest with a lot to say, I try to bring them back and have them continue on that topic that they were talking about. So a few episodes ago, you had an opportunity of hearing from Uwe Eichert, uh, the genius behind Academy Games, and I just thought, you know what? This guy has a lot to say. Let's just bring him back. Uwe, thanks for coming back on the show. Genius. Wow. I've never heard Uwe pronounced as genius before. Thank you very much. Uwe Genius Eichert. That's the way I just tell everybody. Uh, It's on your business card. That's how I found out about it. Um, You know, it sounds better than female sheep. As <laughs> true. Interpret Uva. <laughs> true, true. Hey, uh, let's talk about, for those who um, might not be aware, they should be. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the, uh, the philosophy you had around the funding that Kickstarter provides to a established game company like yourself, that it just makes sense and allows you to do so much more, right? Correct, correct. We were talking about the cost analysis and really the cost breakdown of... Uh, of running a Kickstarter campaign, also of our distribution market and methods and different strategies. So let's let's extend that conversation because there was a lot more that you wanted to talk about. Though actually, there was a lot more that you and I talked about off the microphone, off the recording. But let's talk about that because uh, Academy Games has been around now for four years, and you're doing for a game company kind of coming out of nowhere. You're doing fairly well, but there's a there's a process that you have in place, a philosophy and a process that really has made you successful. Isn't that right? Correct. And, and I've had the benefit, of course, of having several other businesses. I started out in the engineering business, designing machines, and then we went into the high-speed cutter and steel industry, and then went into the beauty industry with high-end haircutting scissors. So all these very well-developed markets that were very, very competitive. And that really forced us to really proceduralize and analyze every part of every business. So I think a lot of gamers coming into this industry, they have a passion for gaming. They have such a passion for what they're doing, and they have a vision for this game, and they want they put their heart and their soul into it. And they're at this point now where they're going to put either a lot of their life savings into it. And I've even talked to quite a few people who just up and quit their jobs and want to do this full time. So I think a really interesting topic for us to discuss and some of the the experience that I've gathered in the gaming industry and also Richard would be that we discuss how do we come up with our pricing? How do we go about deciding if we are going to go a certain distribution method or not? And what do we do? What is life after Kickstarter? Great, great topic. Do you want to start with your uh, Awakening the Bear? 
In which way, <laughs> Richard? Uh, start can, with what now? I can always I can always cut this part out. Um, but <laughs> awakening the bear because when you came in with your very first game, you had a philosophy about the pricing, about what you were going to sell it at, and how you were going to do that. Do you want to talk yes. about that? Well, yeah, we can start that way. And when I first came four years ago, I, I came from didn't know the market at all. And the first thing that I analyzed, and every my philosophy and everything is, is that you try to make the sale before you make the product. So in other words, with Awakening the Bear, I had the idea, I had the rough concept and a prototype, but I then went out and found a publisher who committed to publish the game. Then I went out on top of that and got myself a rep, a representative, a professional guy out in the marketplace who understood the market and who for a percentage would get my game in front of all the key people. Now, the publisher didn't work out, and luckily this was a phase in my life where I had some free time while I was finishing off my master's, and I said, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to start, I'm going to self-publish this company. And I, this is, with Kickstarter, a very, very big, uh, enticing uh, option for people now is to become their own publishing company and publish themselves. And I think this is something that needs a little more analysis and, and a little more forethought. And that's really where I want to go. So with Awakening the Bear, it didn't work out with the other publisher because their, their time schedule didn't fit into what I wanted to do with the game, meaning time-wise. I wanted to publish it in 2008-2009 season, and it looked like they wouldn't get to it till the end of 2009, maybe even 2010. In the publishing timeline, that really isn't that long. It takes a long time to develop a game, to get the artwork out there, to go to the printers, get everything set up, have the printers print, and then ship it from the Orient back to the States, or from Europe back to the States, or for the lucky few who can even print it here in America. Uh, there's quite a timeline involved, but that's beside the point. When I dropped and decided to go on my own, the first thing I analyzed and I said, I need to have a market in place. I have to have people who are willing to buy my product long term. So I went through a wonderful, wonderful resource, and I highly recommend everybody who wants to get into the gaming industry at least. And I know Kickstarter, your clientele, Richard, are people from all different venues and industries. But for my industry, there's a, a, a catalog called Greater Games Catalog. And So what would you do? You pick up Greater Games Catalog, went through it and said, oh, what am I going to be competing against? I, first of all, I looked at what I'm competing against. And then I also went in the back and I looked at professionals and I looked at who was doing what. And they have a whole list of professional representatives in the back, etc. And I started calling these people. When I first started Academy Games, I really started Academy Games as a game company for teaching games for high school students. I had a game developed for chemistry. I had a game developed for electronics, where it teaches you circuitry and what resistors do and things like that in a fun playing method. And once I started talking to the professionals, they said, Uva, the school market is so fragmented. 
You're going from school district to school district. They have no set gaming system in most school districts, and you're only looking and catering to some very um, forefront, tip of the iceberg, blue ocean teachers who are bringing in games on their own and teaching their kids that way. And it is such a tough market to get into. You have to go to convention after convention to after convention just to try to get a school system involved. Okay, so what you did then, I'm, t- I'm going to guess that then you took Weakening the Bear and said, okay, I need to go find and make sure that there's a market that can sustain this product. Well, it was, it was a little more than that. I looked at the gaming market. I saw these beautiful games, the Euro games, like Settlers of Catan and sure. your Magic the Gathering and everything. And then I loved war games all my life. And I looked at the war game market. I go, wow, number one, it's no. a very fragmented market. They have not caught up with the rest of the industry, graphics-wise, component-wise. Right. They're still in the 70s. And thirdly, there were not that many new products coming in. It was just three really big war game publishers out there. So I decided, you know, this is really the easiest penetrating market potential that I have. So I decided to go after the war game historical market. And it was a really a... Which is when I basically met you uh, at Spiel and you had just come out with that. And one of the things that you talked about was you kind of came at this, and, and we're going to talk about pricing because I'm really fascinated and interested about the process that you went through to determine pricing. And I think you have a whole system around the pricing model because Awakening the Bear kind of caught me by surprise, but it seemed to have worked for you. Correct, correct. When I first started my, in in 2008-2009 season, the average war game that I was competing against was selling between $35 and $40. Maybe some, if it was really crazy, $45. And here I come, total unknown, didn't know the industry, but I knew what cost I needed. And I offer a game for $80. 80 double what everybody else is selling. Double. And everybody's saying you're crazy. You know, you'll be lucky if you sell 500 games. Uh, This was really even at a time when people, even five years ago, people weren't using Amazon as much as they are nowadays. There weren't all the internet shops like nowadays. So it, it it was still... A little more backwards is the wargaming industry, at least. So I had to... So how did you get to that $80 price point? Because I don't think you just pulled it out of the air. No, no. What I did is I, number one, I decided what had to be in the game to make it a Cadillac game. What would make this game so stand out component-wise that everybody would have to stop and look at it and go, wow, look at this game. This is totally different. The components are all four times bigger than anything else in its field, and that's what I went for. So first I analyzed what I would need. Then I went out and I priced it and I sourced it, and I sourced everything here in America. And when I got that price, historically, I always use a very simple modifier. My landed cost times six is my retail MSRP. And landed cost means? Landed cost means... My fully my production price, my print cost price, plus freight, duty, and shipment. Does that does that, incl- does that include design and, and that's art? That's not that's not that is not my overhead for my 
So, okay, kinda, so just to be clear, it's when you say landed price, that is the cost to manufacture this thing at the facility and get it to my warehouse. Correct, correct. Okay. I do not have cost of goods of um, so, development costs and things like that because in my accounting system, I don't put that as cost of goods sold. I expense that out as I go along because it's a legal way to do it. But, of course, I want to expense everything out. If I put everything into cost of goods sold of the product, it sits there as inventory. Sure. And I can't expense that, and I get taxed higher at an earlier time. So at $80, we're looking at, what is that, $13? Uh, uh, a, a so you, you said that your landed cost then was going to be $13? Correct, correct. Let me let me get a calculator because I'm not quite that smart when I'm talking. Of course, never never do math in live interviews. That's my <laughs> philosophy. But you are you're good. Thirteen dollars and thirty three cents. So if a game cost me ten dollars or eleven dollars, and then a container cost me four thousand dollars to bring to the United States, duties are so minimal you really don't have to worry about them. But you have your freight costs, things like that. You're looking at, I was looking at $11 plus freight. So I'm looking around $13, $14. I multiplied times six and I came up with 80 And that's the price I have to go with because why $80? Well, the wholesalers buy everything from your average company at 60% off MSRP. So right away, I'm slammed down to around $30, $32. Because remember, then I have to ship my product to the distributors. And that can cost up to 8 to 10% of my sales cost. So there are all these hidden costs involved where you think, oh, my goodness, six times multiples high. If it's, if it's up to me and I, if I can make it swing in the competing items in my market, well, loud, I'll even go at eight multiple. I found it's always easier to sell a high value item than have to compete at low price levels as a commodity item. So you, so came, out, so you came out with Waking the Bear $80 into a new market, unknown company, and, right. and how many units, I mean, how many? They told me they told me I'd probably sell if I was lucky 500 units. Uh, so I printed. I was I was optimistic. I printed 1500. My dealer sales were higher than 1500 two months later, and they weren't even printed yet. And when all was said and done, in the first year and a half, we sold of that game 14,000 copies. 14,000 copies at eighty dollars a pop. Yeah, of $80 a pop of a – now, I didn't get the $80. No, of course. We just talked about how that was spread amounts the distribution chain. But the point here is, is that obviously you tapped into a market that was ready to sustain a very high, a much higher price point. Not only a higher price point, but also a lot of my competitors decided to go more direct. They were not willing to take off 60 or like in my case 68% off MSRP – they said, no, we're going to sell direct to the customers. We're going to sell it to the customer at 30% off or 20% off MSRP. And then we're going to collect all that revenue, which usually would go to the reps in the stores. So what that does is you have to balance. You're going to get a bigger margin coming in, but you're going to sell less because you're not going to get the store support worldwide. I decided to go with low margins 
get in to all these various distributors and stores worldwide. And that's what got my sales going. My strategy now, again, I'm still a very young company. I'm in the prime, the pump um, part of it. I am giving licenses to foreign language partners at very, very low uh, price points. Licensee uh, price point increase, a very low percentage. And I'm doing this on purpose. Um, I'm not looking at this as a price, as a as a profit center. I'm looking at it as number one, getting my brand and my logo in front of as many people as I can worldwide in as many languages. And then number two, getting that bigger print run, which brings my English language costs down by a good 15%. So everybody wins. I get partners who are getting a very good deal. Every, all the work's done. They get it very incredibly low so that they can make good profits. And, and let's just and we, um, let's just see and let's just fast forward now to today because you said something on the last last podcast or maybe it was in our conversation. Your latest game, eighteen twelve, correct, right? Is has been out now for, for a while. For since January, yes, since January. And traditionally, you see, we've had Aldo Giazzi from Impressions on who's talked about uh, this this the way this curve works of selling. You have this bump in the beginning and then it drops off and then you got this slow, steady. Uh, no growth. It just kind of stays steady. What's happening with right. your 1812? Well, the, my 1812 has just steadily increased month after month. And that's just because, again, all this priming of the pumps now, the first few people bought it, they tell their friends, and it's just growing logarithmically. And that is that is exactly the route I was planning and what I was hoping for. And, and it's now paying dividends. The Kickstarter, for example, again, we went through this in our last podcast. Here, we have a lot of new people coming in doing Kickstarter. And I'm, I want the audience to realize I'm no expert on Kickstarter. Everything I know about Kickstarter, I learned from Richard, and Richard was, was kind enough, and we kind of play off each other over the last few years where we've, he's a great synergetic person where we can really bounce ideas off. But Richard already two years ago, told me the importance of Facebook, getting competitions and sweepstakes going on Facebook, pulling in. I pull in every email I can and put it in our database. I pay good money every month to uh, Method CMR to have a good database and customer sales database. I mean, these are these are customer contact programs that are meant for big companies. And here, little I, I get it because I realize the importance of data mining. Because what Richard told me, I'm now putting Kickstarter together with my mass emails, with the Facebook, the Twitter, and combining it all together to get over that hurdle of getting the funding to get my print run out. But, dear audience out there, at this point, you have to already have your full battle plan in place for life after Kickstarter. How am I going to market this after Kickstarter? Who am I going to sell through? What distribution method am I going to use? This should all be decided way ahead of time. Do not invest your time, your effort, and money into something where you don't have a very high percentage um, probability of success on the end run. Don't I, I don't believe in chance. Uva, I appreciate. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm in the room. I can hear what you were saying about me to all our audience. So I just wanted to let you know that. 
I appreciate that. <laughs> we're out of time. Oh, God, again, we didn't think we could fill up 20 minutes. <laughs> yes, we're out of time. And again, this is going to be great content for those who are looking to put their board game out there. And um, what we're going to do, hang on, there, there goes the uh, timer. The timer just went off. So I want to well, say thanks. Not just a board game, not, not a board game, anything out there. Anything. I don't care if you're making clothes. I don't care if you're making a product, food items, whatever. Whatever business you're going in, make sure your distribution and your end game is set. It has – don't guess. Don't hope. Don't throw it up in the air because that's how people go out of business. Again, thank you so much, Uva, for, the, uh, for the, the amount of information and time you spent with us. And I think everybody's going to appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. We didn't even talk about cash flow analysis, but we'll forget about that. No, Richard, no, no. no. You, you got to <laughs> promise to come back and we'll talk about cash flow analysis. Oh, my goodness. More boring, Uva. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter, episode 108. My guest has been Uva Eichert, Academy of Games. Uh, and obviously, as you already have discovered, because I've known it for several years, Uva is a fountain of information when it comes to strong business practices. So if you have a Kickstarter project and you're looking to do something that you want to start a business with, this is a great man to follow his advice. Uh, hopefully you've heard something inspiring. I know I have. I always do. Thanks for listening. Take care.